Let's go to the movies, an award season podcast. Welcome to season five, episode three. On today's episode, I will be discussing Maestro and the Iron Claw. Let's get right to it. First on today's episode is Maestro, directed by Bradley Cooper, has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 79%, letterboxed rating of 3.4 stars. Of course, this is Bradley Cooper's second film, his first being A Star is Born. The plot of this movie is that it's following the relationship between Leonard Bernstein and Felicia Montalegra through various phases of his career. So this project was initially in development at Paramount with Scorsese set to direct, which I thought was interesting. (laughs) He stepped down to do The Irishman, and then Spielberg was also in talks to direct. Also interesting, like two big heavy hitters. (laughs) But after seeing A Star is Born, Steven Spielberg felt that Bradley Cooper would be a better choice to direct, um, which is kind of awesome in itself. So Bradley Cooper came on the project in May 2018. The film was picked up by Netflix in January 2020. Carrie Mulligan joined the cast in September of that year. And then it was written by Bradley Cooper alongside Josh, uh, excuse me, Josh Singer. It was produced by Scorsese and Spielberg, so they still had a hand in it. Filming was actually supposed to start in 2021, but it was delayed due to the pandemic and needing to be able to actually have full orchestras sitting together playing. So they had to wait till those limitations were lifted. So then filming started May 2022. So basically delayed a whole year because of all that. It premiered at the Venice Film Festival on September 2nd, 2023. It had a limited theatrical release on November 22nd, and then it headed to Netflix on December 20th, where it is still currently residing. Now, I've heard a lot of mixed things about this film. It's possible that you have as well. Uh, It's very, seems very much like a love it or hate it kind of movie. Um, So this is going to sound like a weird sentence after setting up like that. I didn't hate this movie. But I also didn't love this movie. (laughs) I feel like I fall firmly in the middle. I kind of see that it does have some strong qualities and performances. But also does feel like it was lacking a lot. It's like I ultimately feel like you learn very little about Bernstein and his career. And it kind of does focus more on the marriage. Uh, I would kind of argue that Carrie Mulligan's character is the main character of the film. She comes across as the muse and the motivation for Bernstein. And she's kind of the heart and soul of this story which I think is interesting and maybe it's intentional and maybe it's a product of the subject matter and the marketing, but I don't know. It does seem more about her. Um, I feel like it could have just as easily been about like insert any composer here with how little about Bernstein you actually learn. So like if you have minimal knowledge of him going into this, that is kind of what you walk away with. You might learn a few small things, but I don't think you learn all that much. But on that note, Despite all that, Bradley Cooper really does commit to this role. I think he delivers a great performance. Um, it is said that he has studied for six years how to actually conduct an orchestra as he was preparing for the role. And you really can tell, especially if you've played in an orchestra, he does it appropriately. <laughs> it comes very naturally to him. Looks like he's been a conductor for most of his life. I was pretty wowed by it. Uh, the other thing that really stood out for me was the cinematography and the framing of the film. The film goes between black and white, celluloid color, and varying aspect ratios as you go through the years. It was also shot on 35 millimeter, 
which I enjoy and I feel like you can actually tell in this particular movie just with all those other elements in play. The cinematography during each era of time was fantastic. Um, kind of, as I mentioned, leaning into those different elements, black and white in like the 50s and the 60s, transitioning into that celluloid color through the 70s, moving into the 80s and the 90s, getting more of that widescreen look with the crisper color. The scene that I loved the most that I would honestly watch again and the scene that's still sticking in my head as like a standalone scene outside of the film itself is the cathedral scene that occurs in the 1970s, like in real life it does. Uh, They blew me away with this, like how well it looked with the color, with the lighting. I said to my husband during the scene, if you had walked into the room during this moment, you would have literally thought we were watching a movie from the 60s. And that's pretty awesome. I was pretty blown away. I read about it a little more. I read they had to bring in all the old lighting to create that look that modern lighting really couldn't replicate. And this scene also featured a live performance by the London Symphony Orchestra being conducted by Bradley Cooper. So they had numerous mics just scattered around the set to capture the audio versus the usual play the track over pretend we're playing kind of thing. Like they wanted to really create a real concert setting and they actually achieved that. Like if there was a way the orchestra could win an award, that'd be cool. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I thought that was solid. The other scene that stuck out to me was the shot where Bernstein was conducting his shadow was being cast along the back wall. Meanwhile, you saw Carrie Mulligan standing in the wings, but she was literally standing right amidst the shadow. And it's obviously an on-the-nose metaphor, but I really did appreciate that shot nonetheless because it couldn't have been easy. (laughs) So I really just mostly appreciated the work that went into the cinematography and the cameras that were used more than anything. The music obviously was fantastic since it was all Bernstein and classical music. No complaints there. Um, I read that Bradley Cooper had a strong hand in deciding what songs they were going to be using and stuff. I think overall it gave me vibes of Mank mixed with Tar. Mank just kind of that almost just like that lengthy story of this kind of iconic Hollywood figure. Not a whole lot going on outside of that. Tar obviously from the composer element. Kind of, you know, the tortured conductor. (laughs) So that's how I'm describing it. Mank with Tar. The acting, again, and the cinematography, biggest stands out for me, biggest standouts for me, excuse me. It would likely get some more attention in general, I think, as it feels kind of like that Hollywood as the target audience type of film, which Hollywood loves. So we'll see if that holds on as we move into award season at the Oscars. I mean, obviously, Bradley Cooper would be a shoe-in for acting. Carrie Mulligan, likely, for her role, cinematography, production design would be strong contenders as well. So curious to see how this one plays out. I mean, obviously it's got strong ratings, but still it's just one of those ones where I keep hearing people either loving it or hating it, and it's very divisive. Uh, The benefit, at least, is that it is on Netflix, so you can always start it and stop it if you need to. (laughs) Give it a try if you want. Um, But I would probably say this is not my biggest recommendation of the season, so take that how you will. That is Maestro.
Next on today's episode is The Iron Claw, directed by Sean Durkin. Rotten Tomatoes score of 89% and a Letterboxd rating of 4.1 stars. Sean Durkin hasn't done too much, actually. He's done The Nest and Martha Marcy May Marlene, which I actually really liked that movie in college. Didn't connect the two that he was the same director. So that's kind of cool. The plot of this movie is that it's following the rise and unfortunate downfall of the Von Erich family in the early years of the wrestling scene in the 70s and 80s. Durkin is said to have had a long-time goal to make a film about the Von Erich family because he grew up as a fan of wrestling and was watching this family, so he was always kind of intrigued by it. He actually began researching for the film in 2015. And then in 2022, the film was announced with Zac Efron starring. Filming began in Baton Rouge in October 2022. It lasted for six weeks. I did read that the wrestling scenes were filmed as full-on wrestling matches versus just individual takes of different scenes that they were going to use just to have that atmosphere and that energy the whole time. And then they just kind of cut what they needed. The stories of the family were also scaled down a bit in order to limit the overall tragedy being portrayed. Biggest thing that I saw was um, that they left out the youngest brother, Chris, who was not directly written into the story, but kind of his story was combined into Mike's story. Chavo Guerrero served as the wrestling consultant, and the wrestling community has actually applauded the realistic portrayal of all those scenes, so that's kind of cool. The Von Erich family overall seems to be pretty responsive to the film. One of the main notes that I was seeing was that their father was being portrayed a little more harshly than he behaved in real life, but ultimately that was, of course, done for dramatic purposes, which they kind of seem to recognize so that's always good when the family's not too up in arms about how their film about them is being portrayed. I also read that the actors went through very extensive training. They were working out almost every day of the week, said to have had to be eating like every two hours in order to stay bulked up. And I mean, you can tell like they look like bodybuilders. It's kind of wild, especially like knowing what other things these actors have done. You're like, okay. <laughs> um, the film premiered in Dallas on November 8th, 2023. Was released in the U.S. by A24 on December 22nd of 2023. It is set for a U.K. release on February 9th, 2024, which is kind of wild. And it's likely going to end up on HBO Max as they have acquired the rights to stream A24 films. Um, so that'll be kind of cool just to know that all those movies will end up there. So I really enjoyed this film. I didn't know much at all about wrestling in general, so this was like a whole new world for me but the trailers drew me in the cast drew me in I was like yeah let's go I didn't know anything about the Von Erich family so I also didn't realize this was going to be an almost entirely tragic film um so this is probably one of the most tragic biopics I've seen in a while (laughs) just super heartbreaking what this family endured like it blew my mind when I read that they had to scale down the tragedy to make it actually more believable for the audience like the amount of tragedy being portrayed would have been like, yeah, right, <laughs> if they had kept it in. That's crazy. Um, But on that premise, this film did a great job of showing, like, literally what obsession towards one thing can do to people and how in that particular era and that industry, like, just this toxic masculinity, bleh, masculinity was just running rampant. There was, like, no sympathy, no compassion, no understanding. It was just like, suck it up, do it, get up, keep going. We don't talk about our feelings. Discuss it with your brothers. Don't talk to me about it. Like, it just 
the way the movie is portraying it is like these brothers were just driven to death by all these goals and ambitions and pressures put onto them by their father. Their father wanted to win that heavyweight title so badly, like he didn't care what it was doing to his family. Like I told my husband, the Iron Claw was the father's signature move. But to me, it just really felt like he also had an Iron Claw around the necks of all of his sons as they were going about their lives. And that was just pretty sobering to, like, make that connection. Pardon me. I dropped my pen. Um, the mother was really tragically portrayed as well. She seemed very much like a silent observer to everything. She was said to have had this really devout faith. But it also kind of seemed like she was leaning on it more as a crutch versus, like, allowing it to empower her in any kind of way. Like, she would just defer to the father. She wouldn't stick up for the kids. Like, it was... It's a very interesting dynamic. And, uh, you know, losing pretty much all of your children, I literally can't even imagine what that would feel like. But I think Mara Tierney, who played the mother, handled it really well. Like This quiet grief that she just kind of carried with her all the time. Um, On the note of how the various deaths were being filmed, since we're kind of talking about the children, I did kind of note after the fact that it, do- it did seem to be shot in a very point of view style for each of those reveals. So you had the point of view of Kevin driving up to the house when he was about to learn about David. You had the point of view of Carrie on his bike before you cut to him revealed that he loses a foot in a crash. You had the point of view of Mike looking at himself in the mirror when he was taking all the pills. And then you had the point of view of Kevin again driving up to the house finding Carrie had shot himself. I found this to be a little unsettling um, because you kind of knew something was coming. If you were like, and if you were in that seat, it wasn't pleasant. I audibly yelled in the theater when the gunshot went off when Kevin was trying to find Carrie. Again, just because I wasn't expecting so much tragedy. (laughs) Uh, I also found the scene shortly after that where he was walking into the afterlife to the embrace of his brothers to be nice, but it, in a way, kind of felt a little out of place to me. We read in an article after the movie that Carrie had apparently been expressing before that moment, feeling the call of his brothers, which is kind of what people say led him to his own death. So I, I feel like just having maybe added that in somehow earlier in the film might have made that scene a little more impactful than it was, like... Oh, like, he actually did feel a call of his brothers, and now he's with them again. That was probably one of my only little, like, oh, could have been different. But overall, still an impactful scene. Kind of just nice to see all the brothers again. The final scene of Kevin just sitting and crying about his brothers, like, finally just showing his fragility and realization of what's occurred to him, was really powerful. Zac Efron did really well in this scene. And then having his sons kind of consoling him that it was okay to cry kind of gives you a little hope that the cycle of what his father had done was not going to be continued. Like, like Kevin, as a father, would let his sons express feeling and vice versa. So, yeah, it's a very powerful scene. Very strong way to end the film. Um, I thought Zac Efron overall was really great in this movie. It's really cool to see him in a strong leading role. After some of the older things of his past, <laughs> i.e. like high school musical things. <laughs> um, 
The actor who played David was also really strong. Harris Dickinson, I believe is his name. I only ever seen him before in Triangle of Sadness, so that was kind of exciting to see him take on a different kind of role from Triangle of Sadness where he was like a pretty boy model, like rich person. <laughs> and then Jeremy Allen White is, of course, just having a moment, so he was obviously great. Um, like a plop, uh, props to his managing team for keeping him on this train that he's on. Like He was solid in this as well. The last note I had was just kind of how the film started in black and white and then it went into this more like yellowed, almost sepia-like tone, which felt like it, you're almost reflecting on past memories, like kind of how you would be looking at photos if you were looking back at things from that era. So I thought that was kind of an interesting way to shoot that and really interesting cinematography choice. I didn't really have any other standouts from cinematography apart from that. And I don't really know if this is going to be getting a lot of awards attention. I haven't seen it recognized for like the Globes or the Critics' Choice or anything as of yet. I really hoped it would. Like Zac Efron for acting would be awesome. Like he did really well. Like I would go so far as to say like cinematography and production design even. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. We'll just have to kind of see how that one plays out. But again, this is a solid film. It's a very sad film, but it is it is a good one. And I would say it's worth watching for sure. It's still playing in theaters, so you can still catch it. Um, otherwise, you'll just have to wait till it hits video on demand or eventually ends up on what will likely be HBO Max. So we'll just have to see. And that is The Iron Claw. On the next episode, I will be discussing Poor Things, and then my second film is up in the air. I'm probably going to either try to do Past Lives or Anatomy of a Fall, just kind of seeing how things land. Either way, if I don't do one on the next episode, I'll get to it eventually. And as always, you can follow me on Letterboxd for reviews, ratings of these movies, and more. Always happy to have more followers and friends on that site, as it is a fun one to kind of see what snarky things people come up with after they've seen a movie so as always thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time thank you for listening today and for joining me on yet another trip to the movies